0: And, Jimmy, now it's time to say hello to Gerald Hodges. As uh, If you have a question or comment about the rule book, 9900 656-9900, 656-9900. Gerald's appearance brought to you by A.G. Hines Company, providing building materials, since anyone can remember. Gerald, how are you doing? Doing well, doing well. Well, there weren't any controversy calls over the
1: weekend, so but we'll start <laughs> asking good. you a couple that's of a, questions. That's always good, they, yeah. sure. <laughs> um, I do want to ask you about a few things. One is... Uh, There was a targeting call against Tennessee during the course of the game. Uh, It was against uh, the linebacker, Daniel Batuli, led with a helmet. They called targeting. I don't think many people disagree with it, but the question came up, what is he supposed to do? So I do want to ask you this question. Are there any extenuating circumstances in which there's head-to-head contact between an offensive player and a defensive player, helmet-to-helmet, where you would not call targeting?
2: Jimmy, there is in the uh, there are several examples. Uh, uh, last year there was a play, and uh, you had a receiver and a defender going up for the ball. Uh, both have equal rights to the ball as a pass, and they were both vertical, and they they had a horrendous collision, and both helmets hit, and uh, but uh, neither player was you know attacking the other one. They were Mm -hmm. both going for the thing. I don't know if they even saw each other. You know, it was one of those collisions in this, you know, so you can have that. You can have one with a runner uh, if, you know, as long as it's not, you know, crown of the helmet attacking, you know, the runner, uh, you have a runner going through the line and you have a a linebacker or a defender, you know, trying to tackle him. And uh, like I said, unless they lower their head, you know, which there again, mm-hmm. that's to protect the tackler as much as anybody. So if it's not a, just an absolute crown of the helmet, you know, attacked into the runner, then you can have some. You can have some contact helmet to helmet that would not be targeted.
1: What if a running back um, running in the middle of the line lowers his head, trying to get a third and one, and he goes helmet to helmet with the linebacker? Is there a chance that that would not be targeting, or does could. that depend on whether it's crown of the helmet? It
2: could be. It really yeah. could. Uh, course there again they 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 want them to teach the tacklers to keep their head up
1: to see what you hit.
2: See what you hit. Mm-hmm. And if you know if they can get to the side, you know, a little bit to the side where it's not head on, then you know, they would that probably would not be called targeting. Remember they changed the rule this year where last year uh they wanted us to err on the side of safety, which we still do, but we had the option of letting a play stand. Mm-hmm. And so, in that case, you know, there were some that were, you know, what you would call a 50-50 call, may have been targeting, may not. So, this year they've taken that option out. It has to be, you know, absolutely, you know, certain that it is targeting. So, uh, there there have been a few less uh, targeting calls this year for that reason. It it took Mm. that third option out.
1: There was a a particular play in the Tennessee-Alabama game in which, There was – maybe I heard it wrong, but I'll try to explain this to you. So an Alabama player comes in. He hits the Tennessee quarterback. The quarterback falls back. He hits his head against the offensive lineman, and he has a concussion. So on this particular play, the referee, they throw a flag, and, and I thought they said personal foul. Maybe they said roughness, but I thought they said personal foul. And then it went to the replay booth for potential targeting. The replay booth said no targeting on the play. Can the replay booth say, however, it was roughing the passer, or does the official on the field have to call roughing the passer or personal foul?
2: That That's correct. They have uh-huh. to. You can – the call would need to be uh, personal foul with targeting, roughing the passer with targeting. Uh, we can only review the targeting aspect of it. So if they if – they, call personal foul with targeting or roughing the passer with targeting, then we look at the targeting and if we deem it's not targeting, then we would take the targeting off and then they would enforce the uh, the 15-yard penalty for the personal foul or roughing the passer.
1: Okay, let me ask you this one. Also, um, this occurred in the course of the Tennessee-Alabama game. So, uh, Tennessee has the ball on the Alabama five-yard line and Tennessee comes out in the Wildcat and It it surprises Alabama, but the officials shut it down. They stop the play, and then they go over and, I guess, explain to the coaches what happened. So in what situations would the officials shut down a play uh, before the snap? There was no substitution on this particular play. So would it be a clock error possibly? Is that something that would lead to that?
2: It could be a play. You know, I I don't know what they should, you know, what happened, but the instances, it could be if the play clock were started too soon or something Mm -hmm. of that nature that, uh, they would want to reset the play clock, then, you know, they could stop it and pump, you know, you've seen the signal pump the play clock back to give the offense the full benefit of their 25 seconds or 40, you know, whichever. Oh but that, uh, could be, it could be some malfunction with the chains, some equipment on the mm-hmm. sidelines, uh, but... Uh,
1: this occurred after a penalty. Could it potentially be that the officials were second-guessing themselves on the spot for a pass interference? Could it be the spot of the ball where they're not sure if they got the spot right? Would you shut it down there?
2: If they could, mm-hmm. uh, and sometimes you'll see that uh, just in the course of a running play, and they'll put the ball down, and you know it doesn't happen often, but they could miss-spot the ball, and... The guy on the sideline could say, "Hey, it needs to be up a yard or back a yard for whatever reason," and to respot the ball. That that is that's a possibility also.
1: Can the replay official buzz down and say, "Hey, you misspotted this ball by a foot or a yard or so," or or is that uncommon unless it, it has to do with the first down? It was, would
2: uh, it would be more or less during a first down or or you know a really critical spot, but uh, a foot or so probably. You know, probably not. Probably not going to get involved in it. But you know, we're in. They, they use the term egregious, and you know, if middle of the field. If it's a yard or two, we may not. We may not look at it. Uh, it's inside the five, and it's a yard. That's a big difference. That's twenty percent. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it just depends on the game situations.
0: Let's get a call from James. You're on Sports Talk. Hello, James. How you doing? Doing well. How are you?
3: Uh, okay, I got a question for Mr. Hodges. Uh... Uh, the uh, quarterback for Tennessee's had two concussions uh, in the last two games, and I don't know who who will make the decision or whether he'll play or not. But my question is, can a referee, uh, after observing a player on the field, just make uh, just tell the coaching staff he cannot play?
2: Well, the the way that would work, James, of course, in the SEC uh, for the last several years, we have a medical observer in the replay booth he has his own video screen and uh, what that and he is there's kind of a second line of defense the the team trainers doctors are attuned to things like that but uh and typically what would happen the medical observers would uh you know they would just tell the replay officials we need to stop this game and get player number so and so out of the game to be evaluated by the team doctors uh, what would uh,
3: what would they be looking for in a scenario like with uh, the the Tennessee quarterback? Would would they be looking for certain things?
2: Well, a couple things, and of course, you know, any official that sees a player obviously in you know physical distress or uh, you know has a real stare look. And we did that before we had medical observers, but uh, falling down or you know just Walking erratically, or you know, just kind of things like that, where they'd have a a lick. But uh, we used, to, you know, we had say, you know, take them out, and get take a look at them. But now that they have the medical observers and then the team doctors there, but that's what they're there for. But any official that saw a player that's obviously you know badly injured or whatever, we'd definitely stop the game and then get you know get medical attention to them. Okay, Mr. Hodges, thank you very much.
0: Yes, sir. Thank you. Appreciate it, James. We'll get a break. We've got more coming your way. To join us, 656-9900, 656-9900. Gerald's Appearance brought to you by A.G. Hines Company, providing building materials since anyone can remember. This is Sports Talk on 99.1, the sports animal. We work all day under a neon Budweiser sign. Yeah, it's a really cool thing. From the Budweiser studios of Cumulus Broadcasting, we are Sports Radio WNML. Sports Talk continues with Jimmy Himes. I'm John Wilkerson, our guest SEC replay official, Gerald Hodges. Let's uh, go to the phones and check in with Don. Hello, Don. Hey, guys. Hey.
3: I appreciate you taking my call. And for Mr. Hodges, um, I got a question and a comment. Don, what? you sound like yeah. you have a cold. Uh, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't. It's just me. <laughs> uh the uh, the question you you just were discussing a while ago about spotting the ball, and you said that you know if it's inside the five, you know that's exactly what happened in late in the third third quarter of that football game or fourth maybe fourth quarter. Tennessee had the ball at the two yard line, ran a play for no gain, and they spotted it at the three, and nobody observed it or whatever. Um uh, and I I believe that's what you that would be one of those cases you said that uh, and probably should have been. My well
2: comment. there again, Don, that you know, the officials on the field decide where the ball is when the runner is down. So yeah. you know, and uh, of course I didn't see the play. I was I was driving I know. back and forth but uh I know. I've just seen in general, you know, the, the spots are, and of course they are in any game, but they're more critical inside the 10 and the 5 than, you know, out in the middle of the field. So, uh, I don't, you know, I don't know what the situation. It's just a judgment call as to where the ball was when the runner was down.
1: Don, here, here's what I saw. So, the it was uh, Wildcat played a Jordan, right? So, when I watched watch it, Jordan got hit on the 3, spun around, and went down on the 2, my opinion. So you, then they cut off, and they're showing all this other stuff. Then when they come back to it, they got a, a black line on the three-yard line. I'm like, wait a minute. So I went back and replayed it because I thought, did I miss that that far? And he was down on the two. Now, I will tell you this. The black line was not completely accurate. So in my opinion, they put the ball on the two-and-a-half for – they missed it by about a foot-and-a-half or two feet, in my opinion because I thought the ball was squarely on the two, and when they came back, it, was, it wasn't it was quite touching the three-yard line, but it was close. I thought it was an error in the spot. But, again, that's my opinion on where the ball was was spotted. They didn't show the referees going up and with their left foot or whatever and spotting it and saying, okay, this is where. They didn't show that. They just came back and showed where the ball was. I thought it was a missed spot by a foot and a half to two feet, my opinion.
3: Yeah. Well, I think I speak for a lot of folks in South Carolina and Tennessee. Um uh, it's not just like the calls we just asked Gerald all about and the one we're just now discussing. It's the preponderance of calls that seem to be game changing calls all going to the ranked teams versus the non ranked teams. You know, I'd like to see both crews suspended.
1: You'd like to see both crews suspended, okay.
3: Yeah.
1: All right. Incompetence or favoritism toward the ranked teams. Okay. Uh, Gerald, I will ask you this. A lot of people do not feel that SEC officials are held accountable. Uh, how are they held accountable? Because I, at the end of the year, I know that Steve Shaw, the coordinator of officials, will say, We did not retain some officials. That to me would be holding them accountable, right? Right. So
2: they are graded every game, okay. every call uh... Um, and the uh... they have an evaluation at the end of the year and um there, there are occasions where people are not invited back
0: mm-hmm. um, how often or does it happen that you could have for instance you've got a crew of seven and six guys are performing and grading well but there's a member of the crew that is not keeping up in terms of what his evaluations are will you ever see substitutions and or temporary suspensions uh, anything like that as a season plays out
2: could you could uh, that is uh you know that's totally you know up to the conference office mm-hmm. uh, that is a uh, that is a possibility they are graded individually the crew gets a grade mm-hmm. but then also you're graded individually and then you're you're compared against Everyone else at your position, I guess, is the best way to put it.
0: Don, we appreciate it. Let's go next to Michael. You're on Sports Talk. Hello, Michael.
4: Hello, uh, Steve. I mean, I mean, John, sorry about that. It's all right. Uh, what I wanted to ask is, okay, in, a, in officiating games like uh, conference games or non-conference games, when a team – like in one game I, I won't mention the two schools. One was playing hurry up football and the other one was a coward and had a guy to drop down like he was hurt to stop the to stop the play pretended to be hurt. How what what is the rule on that? Are they allowed to do that?
2: Well, Michael, the in the rule book there's very strong wording about that that is It is, you know, it's an unsportsmanlike, you know, act. Not, it's not penalizable, but uh, they strongly discourage, you know, uh, faking an injury or, you know, several other there's several other things in the rule book about that. From an official standpoint, though, when we see a player go down, we have no option other than stopping the clock to get, you know, get them to come out and attend to. Uh, right. That and that, uh, doing that on purpose is frowned upon. You know, from the NCAA on down. So
4: well, tell I remember a team oh. that did that when Georgia and Notre Dame was playing. When Georgia would get the the hurrying up, get the moving fast, Notre Dame would have a would pretend like a player was hurt, and I think that's sissy.
0: I thought you weren't going to call names.
4: Well, I decided <laughs> decide to do that.
0: <laughs> Called an audible, did you? Yeah.
1: Oh, There's nothing wrong with
0: that. I just I was just <laughs> noting a change in your presentation. That's all. Um, tell me this. Now, when you see, for instance, uh, Tennessee encountered that in a game. It was, what, Bowling Green, wasn't it, Jimmy? The Tennessee were trying to go fast. Bowling Green kept having guys that would start yeah. walking off. Then they'd go down. And then they'd get up and kind of hustle off the field. When you see somebody who... Goes down in a heap, or stays down after a play, and then gets up and trots off the field. Is there anything that now would take place, perhaps, with a crew chief going over to a head coach saying, "Coach, you can't do this"?
2: That would that would probably be the proper thing. Uh, there again, you know, it just say, you know, there's there's no penalty, you know, unfortunately, for that because you can't t- we cannot tell. And actually, from a, a liability standpoint, if a player goes down, we have no options. It other than shut the plate down. Now, on the conference level, you know, uh, there might be some conversation, you know, if it continues, you know, where you see a pattern like that. But, I mean, our hands are tied on the field.
0: Let's go to – let's see. Let's go to Jared. Hi, Jared. How are you? Hey, I'm doing well, guys. Thanks for taking my call. My,
5: my take may not be quite as hot as last caller, but uh... – And you guys kind of did steal a little bit of my thunder a minute ago. I was wondering about – we're talking about the refs being graded um, on every call of every game. I know that this game they're going to have quite a bit to be graded on based on just the number of penalties they threw out. But do they ever get split up uh, as the season progresses or is that crew together the whole season? And also, does the crew get assigned to a certain team through the year or – I guess what I'm trying to say is make me feel better about we probably won't have to see that same crew again.
2: Well, the, the crews, the schedules come out, they are assigned by crews. Now we have, you know, we have some rules within the, uh, SEC that, uh, and also with, uh, actually the NCAA now, but, uh, there are several, several read, you you cannot work a school, you know, where you played football, and if you played with the head coach or for a head coach of that school, and then uh, if you have siblings or immediate family attending that school. And we've had some officials, you know, of course, obviously, a lot of us went to SEC schools, so if we had children at that school, then – We would not, uh, we would not work them, and they would not schedule them that school until, you know, the, the relative. I guess the simplest, quicker way to say it, graduates and and moves on.
5: Okay, but would we see the same crew we saw Saturday at another game potentially this year, or I guess Uh, at the beginning of the season?
2: Isn't they? The schedules come out now. You know, we get them about four weeks in advance. Uh, The other thing is we we typically do not see a school more than twice in a season. Oh, uh, okay. So, and that that all plays into where you have eight officials on a crew, you could potentially have eight schools that that school can't work. So they will switch, you know, individuals in and out of a crew because of conflicts of that reason.
5: Mm-hmm. Okay. I, just one more little thing. Sure. Uh, you're saying they get graded on uh, every call. What about how do they – grade you on something that is i guess a potential non-call
2: well there again they have a grading system we have a we have observers at every game also and then of course you know we have the game films that come in you know usually by sunday afternoon of every every week so we have an actual uh, former official there in the in the press box and he will do a post-game meeting with the crew and we'll go over, you know, any glaring plays or, you know, good plays, right. bad plays. But then he will we have a film grader and some of our film graders will spend six to eight hours grading a game film. So you have um an average game, hundred and seventy five plays and you have eight officials. So you multiply that by eight. My math's not that good right off, but that's a lot of opportunities and plays that they look at. So
5: uh, yeah, I can see that.
2: yeah, and so that's, they compile a, a score overall for the crew and then a score individually for the official and they grade correct calls, incorrect calls, no calls, you know, so there's several different, uh, categories on the play and, uh, then they come up with a, you know, a grade for the individual and for the crew.
5: Cool. Awesome. That's a bunch of great information. I, I really appreciate you guys taking my call.
2: Yes, sir. Thank I you. I'll
5: listen to you
0: guys some more. All right. Thank Go you, ball. Jared. Have a great week. We sure do appreciate it. We'll get a break. Coming up, a final segment to today's edition of Sports Talk, a final segment with SEC replay official Gerald Hodges and Gerald's appearance brought to you by A.G. Hines Company, providing building materials since anyone can remember. Not so much our job as it is our obsession. 99.1, the sports animal. Final segment to today's edition of Sports Talk with Jimmy Himes. I'm John Wilkerson. Our guest SEC replay official Gerald Hodges. Let's let's see. We go back now to Ron. Who's up next? Hello, Ron.
6: Hey, good evening, Jimmy, John, Gerald. How are y'all tonight? Doing hey, well. How are good, you? Good,
0: Ron. How
2: are
1: you?
6: Good. Yeah, I've been listening to your show a lot today, and uh, a lot of people talking about how the better teams seem to get the calls, and all. Kind of took me back to the '80s when I was younger, and I was and still am a North Carolina Tar Heel fan. And basketball, Dean Smith. I remember the media and my friends and people who had in North Carolina would always say, "Well, they shoot more free throws and they uh, get all the calls." Well, that's because of that their teams were better. They were better coached. They were where that where they were supposed to be. And of course, basketball is a different animal than football because you got the foul to get the ball back. But my question to you is, Gerald, do you? think that that has anything to do with it in today's college football that maybe the teams that are better are better coached have better athletes don't have to hold don't have to pass interfere, and they're not really getting the calls and there's no conspiracy theory they're just better athletes basically
2: Oh, well, ron i'm glad you brought up the basketball because i officiated basketball for 20 years and that that that's true in any uh well especially you know football and basketball where you have actually contact baseball is a little different but Uh, A team that's bigger, stronger, faster is going to typically play better. Uh,
6: Alabama, Ohio State, all the teams that are in the top five, basically Georgia. So it's not, in my opinion, it's not really they get the calls. It's it's they're better coach stacks or better athletes and don't have to, not to say cheat, but you know what I'm saying. I'd say that's a general
0: rule, that that's true. But there are also plenty of teams that benefit from a friendly whistle.
1: Yeah, Duke in
0: Basketball, <laughs> no. Don't, don't the, get
1: me started.
6: Don't get me started. See, <laughs> see, there you go. You agree? Uh, the evil empire. Yeah. yeah. Don't get me started. <laughs> right. Know, Billy Packer, most of Shusky's yard. Yeah.
0: <laughs> exceptions to every rule, except the rule that there are no exceptions. That's right. <laughs> yeah.
2: Right, but
6: uh, all right. Y'all, y'all have a good. Y'all have a good evening. All right. right. Sure Thank do appreciate
0: you. it, Ron. And there's also the thing. Another thing that stands out. You take a look. A team like Alabama, a program like Alabama, has margin for error because they do have better talent. They do have uh, outstanding coaches, not to say that other teams don't, but what they have is the ability to overcome a a call that doesn't go their way. Or just a mistake. uh, Yes. uh, Any type. A team like Tennessee that doesn't have much margin for error, a, a call, whether right or otherwise, can be crippling.
1: Alabama entered that game as the most penalized team in the SEC. Yeah. So it's that not like- would
0: not seem to
1: favor them, would it? Correct.
0: Just saying. Yes. But, hey, Gerald, we always appreciate it. Thank you so much, and uh, have a great week. I'll do that. I'll do that. All right. And we'll, and we'll talk to you next Monday. Apologies to those that we won't have time to get to your calls, but thank you so much for listening. That's going to do it for today's edition of Sports Talk. And coming up, we invite you at 730 to listen to Football Futures with Josh Ward. You've got Big Orange Hotline coming up at 8 o'clock. But up next, it's Tennessee Sports Night on 99.1 The Sports Animal.